Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. This is show number 33 of the MMA podcast that comes to you with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head and joining me as ever is Mr. Chamat Karsandu. Bit of a different show for you this week. We do have a Bellator show coming up this weekend, but as long-time British viewers will know, we can't watch that live. Um, it's something that is quite frustrating and... Uh, We've all, we've all communicated that and hopefully things will start to improve. There is also a Cage Warriors show happening on Sunday. We will briefly touch on that as well as the show progresses. But basically this week, we're going to have a bit of a chat. Mr. Sandu and I will have a chat. We've, uh, we've called it a bit of a Q&A special this week, Sandu, and uh, we'll answer the fans' questions as we go through and uh, we'll just have a bit of a catch-up. How's that sound? That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it is a bit of a, a quiet period and... A uh, bit of a heads up, next week uh, we're going to be taking a bit of a break, so we'll, we'll be off next week, uh, a little bit of a PSA, public service announcement there, but then we'll be back the following Monday, business as usual, uh, following the events of UFC 210, uh, and that's because I'm going to be away, I'm going to be on vacation, I uh, fly out to Orlando, Florida, Wednesday morning, for my yearly fix of pro wrestling, I'm going to be uh, heading off to, to WrestleMania, um, once again, uh, so I'm looking forward to checking out some of the biggest and best WWE superstars, and uh, I'm actually going to get a little bit of work done for MMA Junkie as well. I kind of always like to kind of take my video kit with me and uh, and you know get access to some of these promoters and wrestlers and uh, just kind of get their take on things. You know, the last couple of years it's worked out quite well because there's been so much crossover between the two different industries, you know, with CM Punk coming over, Brock Lesnar coming over, uh, Ronda Rousey made an appearance at WrestleMania a couple of years ago, and of course, recently, uh, you know, over the course of the last six to nine months, uh, one Conor McGregor um, has uh, made a lot of headlines, you know, poking the WWE folks here and then with a few jabs um, of his own. So I'm looking forward to a nice little holiday. It's uh, plus 30 degrees every single day. Um, so I cannot wait for that. I'm not at all jealous, honest. <laughs> I am probably going to go to a WrestleMania party in London. Uh, a friend of mine runs a load of events up and down the country, uh, Hooked on Wrestling, I think they're called, and uh, they've got a WrestleMania party in uh, in the walkabout in Temple. Um, so if they can squeeze me onto their guest list, I might just head on up to... Uh, Good old London town and stay up through the night watching watching uh, grown men in their pants pretend to beat each other up. It is good fun, you know, all, all, all joking aside. Here's a question for you then, Sandy, seeing as we're just shooting the breeze this week. Yeah. Looking at the WWE roster, yes. now these are all very, very talented athletes because that is what they are. They are athletes. Um, they're, they're also kind of bona fide stump men and women as well. But a lot of them have legit athletic backgrounds. Uh, some of them have come through the collegiate wrestling system. Some of them have come from professional football and, and all this stuff. If you could pick a wrestler out of that WWE roster and say, right, we're going we're gonna to put you into mixed martial arts and give you a year, two years before throwing you to the Wolves in the UFC or Bellator, who would you think has got the best shot? If you were going to pluck someone out of the WWE or, or NXT roster, and sling them in there. Who do you think would have the best shot of having some level of success? We've seen CM Punk do it, and he, he failed miserably. And that's no that's no detriment to him. He has no competitive athletic background, so to speak. 
uh, and really was sort of giving it a go from the ground up. But we've seen Brock move over and become the world heavyweight champion. He had that elite amateur wrestling background. Are there other people you could see who could maybe not necessarily hit the heights that Brock did, but could come in and make a little bit of a splash in the UFC? Are we talking past, present or future? Well, someone someone out of the current roster who, if they said, right, okay, I'm going to transition to MMA, I'm going to train exclusively MMA for a year, so they're going to stop wrestling, go into an MMA gym, an ATT or a Rufus Sport or whoever, train it extensively for a year, and then go into the UFC. So let's say International Fight Week next year, let's say. Um, who would you think out of the current roster has got the best shot of making that move and sticking? Well, I'm not sure if he's still with the roster. I think he might have left. But Jack, Jack Swagger um, was a, a decent shout. He's a, a former All-American um, amateur wrestling background. Jake Hager, uh, his name is, isn't it? His real name. I think that's his real name. Um, you probably know better than me, Simon. I know you're a much you know, bigger a pro wrestling fan than I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I only know him as Jack Swagger. And um, we the people. That was his gimmick. That's it. Um so yeah, he's won, but if he's now not no longer with the WWE, which I think might be the case, I think they may have kind of gone their separate ways recently. Chad Gable of American Alpha is a young well, he's, you know, he's 31, so he's probably in his prime right now and he's also got a, a collegiate um amateur wrestling background and um you know, he's uh he's come from the uh the Olympic uh, trials team as well. He was part of the Olympic trials team in 2012, um, much much like uh, Daniel Cormier uh, was, you know, in the way he he came through uh, through to MMA. Um, so he's probably the one that I think had has got the best kind of foundation uh, to transition into MMA. Another one is uh, Daniel Cormier, uh, not Daniel Cormier, Daniel Bryan. Um, he's probably on you know the the wrong wrong end of 30 and uh, he's you know, suffered a few concussions. But if you're just looking at skill set and what he's able to do, um, he loves kickboxing, he loves jiu-jitsu, um, and he's been doing it for quite some time. Um, and I think he's all, you know, he has you know, here and there dropped a few hints that he'd you know, perhaps love to have done MMA. It's probably you know, gone past the, the stage of that where that's going to be a, a realistic opportunity for him. Um, but there you go, Jack Swagger, uh, Chad Gable of American Alpha, who actually came up through the NXT system and is now on the, the main roster on SmackDown, and, and Daniel Bryan. Yes. There's, your, there's my kind of three picks that I think would potentially transition into MMA. I think both the guys from American Alpha would have a fair chance because I think they were both collegiate wrestling standouts. Uh, I think the lad who, who goes under the name of Chad Gable now, I think he was the he had the more successful wrestling career. I think he's the guy who made it to the Olympics, didn't he? He went to the Olympics. Yep. Um, couple of other names I'd, I'd chuck in uh, on NXT. There's a new tag team knocking around called Authors of Pain, um, and one of those guys, uh, his wrestling name is Razor or Razar, and his actual name is Gazim Selmani. He actually has, has six pro rest, uh, six, six um, professional mixed martial arts bouts to his name. He's fought for he's fought for Bama. Uh, he knocked out. Oh, sorry. He submitted Ollie Thompson in 18 seconds uh, at Bama 15. I might even have been at that event. That was back in 2014. And he also fought for, uh, on Bellator 130. 
uh, where he lost. So uh, he's got a little bit of um, a little bit of MMA experience. Uh, used to train at a Golden Glory gym in in uh, in, in Holland. Um, and another guy, Jack Gallagher. I was just about to mention him. Jack Gallagher. You reminded me. Yes. He, uh, I think he. I don't know how many. He might only have one or two. 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 There you go. So, but um, yeah. Don't be fooled by the look. Uh, he's actually got some legit combat sports experience. It's interesting. People people sort of look at pro wrestling and MMA and say, "How can you? How can you watch both of these things? You know, one of them's real, one of them is." But there, there really is a crossover. You know, the fan base there's a crossover. I think there are skill set crossovers there. I think I think people don't give professional wrestlers the credit that they're due sometimes for 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 the skill level um of what they do um but yeah i i I think it's fascinating i think there is a crossover there and let's flip the question then seeing as we're we're sort of shooting the breeze and that you know just going a bit free form on this week's show other than conor mcgregor who's a given yeah from the ufc who who do you think could be a legitimate success as a professional wrestler if they made the switch that's easy. That's Daniel Cormier all day long. He is a big, big fan of the business, of the industry, um, of WWE. And uh, I could easily see him cutting promos left, right and center. He's basically cutting promos on UFC tonight <laughs> on the social media and uh, when he's in the commentary booth anyway. Um, so that that's a given. That's an easy one. That's Daniel Cormier all day long. Yeah, he was the only name in my head as well. I'm sure there are probably others who could do it. Um, but I think that DC DC gets it, doesn't he? I think he's is he? Am I right in thinking he's good friends with Seth Rollins? I'm not sure. I don't know if they're good friends. I know he's a big fan, right? And I know he was actually, as I was, in attendance a few years ago at the uh, the San Francisco um, WrestleMania when Seth Rollins won the uh, the coveted WWE World Heavyweight Championship in the in the main event by cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase. Uh, there's a little tidbit for you folks. And um, yeah, so I think he's just kind of like a big fan of Seth and the way he's come up to the independent circuit, then through NXT and then onto the main roster and then made it, you know, as one of the bona fide big stars of the, the current crop of WWE, um, you know, pro wrestlers at the moment. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of relationship between those two. But Chael Sonnen is another one who actually um, back in the day, uh, when WCW was still knocking about, he actually had, I believe, he went to the power plant. He okay. Went to the power, he went to the power plant, and he had he had some uh, some trials there. Uh, it didn't obviously end up working out, but it was at the time in his life, uh, a, you know, a career that he was thinking about. And again, you know, if you look at Chael's career, and especially when it peaked, it was when he was cutting old school promos from the pro wrestling book and he was kind of reusing some of the classic stuff from the rock don morocco and you know he was just kind of using the the pro wrestling playbook uh, and kind of you know reintroducing it or introducing it for the very first time uh, to a ufc audience or to an mma audience and he made it work so like you said simon massive crossover between uh, the two companies and the two businesses and the two industries uh, for, for for you know for a long long time and in fact you know, even in the early days, uh, the inception, how MMA came about, is deeply rooted in pro wrestling. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I know some people, they don't like. There are there are some wrestling fans who don't like MMA, and there are certainly MMA fans that don't like wrestling. But I think they're I think they're they're more strongly linked than than some would give it credit for. 
and there's all this talk about MMA and boxing at the moment and, and all of that sort of stuff. I think there's a stronger crossover with professional wrestling than there is with boxing, I've got to be honest. I think there's a lot more involved there. Talking about Daniel Cormier, um, he's going to be uh, the headliner of the next UFC show uh, coming yeah. down coming down the line. April 8th at the Keyback Center <clears throat> in Buffalo, New York, defending that UFC light heavyweight championship. The light heavyweight division, we've spoken about it before and it's been spoken about elsewhere. Not the deepest division in the UFC by any stretch. But if you look at that that group of fighters at the top of the division, sort of one to five, you could argue that's as strong as any division in the UFC in terms of just pure quality. You know, you've got Daniel Cormier, you've got Anthony Rumble Johnson, you've got Glover Teixeira, you've got um, Alexander Gustafsson. You could argue Jimmy Manuel was elbowing his way into that discussion as well. And of course, you've got the potential for John, bon- John Bones Jones coming back. So we've just had Jimmy Manuel knocking out Corey Anderson. He's trying to work his way in there, and quite rightly so. And now we've got DC versus Rumble Johnson. Where do you think John Jones is going to fit in? Because he's coming back. If I'm right, I think his suspension either finishes on the day of UFC 213, which is International Fight Week, or it finishes the day after. I'm not 100%. It's either the 8th or the 9th. I think he was suspended for a year on July from July the 9th, 2016. UFC 213 is July the 8th. So I'm guessing that's the last day of the suspension. So in theory, he could be available to fight from uh, the day after that event onwards. So where do you think he's going to fit in? Do you, think, do you think they'll give him a title shot? Do you think they'll make him fight someone else first? Could they put him in with Gustafsson if Gustafsson beats Teixeira? Do the rematch again? Would they give him Jimmy Manoa? There's options there, but I mean, I think Dana might have said a few weeks ago that he'd come back into a title fight. I think so. I, I think with... It's definitely been a slow start to the year in regards to pay-per-views, and I think you know the UFC and WME they need to start picking it up, especially if they want to kind of hit some of these financial targets. Um, and I think they need to start building momentum, especially as we kind of head towards the second half of this year, but then really kind of moving into the second half of the year um, and towards the end of the year, because that's when all the TV right discussions and the negotiations are going to start to kind of you know begin. And who knows what that overall package looks like, whether it's in- encompassing pay-per-views into a TV, you know, who knows what it's going to be. But uh, to, the, to the question, yeah, immediate title shot. Um, not just from the UFC's point of view, I, I don't think if Cormier beats Johnson, I don't think Cormier is going to assign another title fight contract unless it's John Jones. Um, I think Cormier told MMA Junkie a couple of uh, weeks ago now that his kind of blueprint and plan here is to beat Johnson for a second time. He wants to fight John Jones twice because beating him once just won't be enough. You know, then it'll be you know okay, be one you all, know, yeah, to be one all. Then you have to do a trilogy, um, and then he said on the outside chance if things work out and if Gustafsson wins, maybe another fight with Gustafsson, but he openly said in that interview he had tried to avoid Gustafsson at all costs because that was the toughest fight he's ever been in, and uh, which is obviously paying a lot of respect to, to Gustafsson there. So, you know, so what do you do now if you're Gustafsson and, or if you're Jimmy Manua? Um, well, I guess you keep fighting. I guess you keep collecting paychecks. Um, you stay visible. You don't, you know, drop off the radar. That's why I was kind of really gung ho about my idea 
that I think um, they, the UFC should put you know Jimmy Manuel and Shogun um, on that UFC 212 card because which is going to be a massive pay per view event. Mm. You know that's a, that's a main card fight in Rio. Shogun's coming off the best win streak of his UFC career. Okay, fine. He may not be the same Shogun he was back in Pride or the Shogun that won the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship, but he's showing form and he's still a massive name in the sport, right? And he is just, um, you know, one spot behind Jimmy Manua in the current Light Heavyweight rankings. If you're Gustafsson, you've just got a big fight coming up in a couple of months against Glover Teixeira in your backyard in Stockholm. Much like Jimmy Manua had to get that monkey off his back by fighting in the O2 arena, Gustafsson's got a lot of pressure coming in to this fight with Glover as well. Because the last time he fought at home in Stockholm was in a 30,000-seater um, uh, you know, football arena, yeah. football stadium, and it did not go well for him whatsoever. It, it that was a big moment didn't. for him. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, Simon, I think that with the top four or five guys... There's a lot of interesting storylines. Um, we'll see how the kind of year develops. Um, but that UFC 210 pay-per-view and that main event is massive, I think, for the direction of the division. Because if Johnson beats Cormier, I think you're going to get Jones versus Johnson for the for the strap, for the title, which would also be a fresh fight as well, which yeah. is going to tick another box. And then if you're, then if you're Cormier, who wants to regain his championship or maybe get a crack at John Jones later on down the road, you're going to have to look at either a Gustafsson rematch or perhaps a Jimmy Manuel fight. Yeah. So a lot of uh, things going to be at play um, when things uh, when that UFC 210 main event goes down. Yeah, it's good to see weight, weight divisions and weight classes starting to, starting to play out. You know, we've, it seems to have been the story over the last six to nine months where we've seen weight classes becoming stagnant and where the championship has kind of ended up going off the rails a little bit while other stuff is going on. We see we've seen it in the featherweight division. We're now seeing it in the lightweight division. There's a common there's a common denominator there. Uh a certain Irishman uh called Conor McGregor. We're also seeing it to a certain degree in the middleweight division at the moment with Michael Bisping being matched up with uh George St. Pierre. Uh and uh I know Luke Rockhold was was quite vocal this week on, on UFC tonight talking about that. Um I certainly like the idea of Luke Rockhold versus uh, Yoel Romero. He seemed open to the idea. That's a fight I'd like to see. Um, and uh, but but with light heavyweight, it's good seeing. There seems to be some progression going on, and I think uh, the DC Johnson fight on uh, April the eighth will really kickstart that. Um, we'll talk about that fight card in a little bit more detail um, in 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 review when we come back after. After that event, that's going to be uh, that's going to be the next big pay per view. Chris Weib and Gegard Masasi is the co-main. Um, some interesting fights on that card. Cynthia Calvillo, who looked really impressive on her debut, she takes on a debutante Pearl Gonzalez. Thiago Alves, Patrick O'Tay looks interesting at one seventy, and Will Brooks, Charles Oliveira. That's the main card. That's a decent main card. Not absolutely stacked to the gills main card, but I think there's plenty there for people to be excited about. Come April eighth, we will review all of that action. On what will be our next show? Um, we will we will review it, but I will one final thing I want to say just on this card because we're not going to talk about it until it's all in the books. They cannot lose that main or co-main event, Simon. Oh my this god, is, no! For, for pay-per-view business, I mean, it's it's just about good enough as it is. But if you lose that main or co-main, you're in big big trouble. You're right. Maybe Mister Manoa has been uh, has been asked to stay fit. Who knows? 
you can you can bet. I mean, he he, he won in about three minutes, didn't he? Took yeah. him three minutes to put to put Corey Anderson away. Took no damage. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's he's absolutely unscathed from that fight. Wouldn't be surprised if they just said, you know, don't don't uh, don't go off on vacation just yet. Give it a mm. week or two, um, because if Cormier falls out, they could make that an interim championship fight. If Cormier, if Johnson falls out, then he's ready to step in. Because if you look at the other people at the top of that division, no one else is ready to step in. Um, they'd have to break up a fight in order for that to happen. The one guy who is a, who's available and ranked highly enough to to be able to step in and keep the that main event status alive, that guy is Jimmy Manoa. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if the UFC have said uh, pump the brakes on the holiday just for a week or so, and then let's let's get to say Thursday or Friday of that fight week. Uh, we'll make sure that DC and uh, and Rumble are both okay. They make it, they make it to uh, to Buffalo, New York intact. Everything's above board and every everything's good to go. And once they know that fight is safe, then Jimmy can go off to uh, the Bahamas or wherever he wants to go uh, with his family and enjoy some some well deserved R and R after that superb performance. But you never know. This could be the, uh, the the opportunity and. You know, we saw it with Marlon Vera in London. You just, sometimes you just have to be available and ready to go. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, this arguably more than any other sport gives you the opportunity to to be on the sidelines one minute and then be the star of the show the next. Um, so interesting to see how that all... I mean, hopefully that that fight stays intact. I think that's a fight that we all want to see again. And I think we want to see the progression and development of that light heavyweight division. Um so yeah, that will be probably the main topic of our next show uh, as we review uh, UFC. What is it? UFC two ten, Cormier versus Johnson two. We've um, we've had some questions sent in this week, Sandy. Should we, uh, should we answer a couple of those before we yeah. kick on and chat about some other stuff? Let's do it. Uh, once again, thank you everyone uh, for firing your questions through. If you want to get your questions in for any of our shows in the future, at the Britpack MMA is the Twitter handle that you want to find. Um, fire it across. I'll give it a like so you, that you know we're going to ask it on the show. And, uh, and the first one comes from Sonny Dangel. And it kind of almost kind of goes back to the opening of the show, Simon, and you're talking about there being a Bellator show uh, this weekend with uh, King Mo Rampage 2. And Sonny asks, early question, instructions on how to complain and bombard Channel 5 including email addresses, phone, etc. Right, so look, um, I actually got in touch with uh, Channel 5. I kind of check in with them every couple of months with some of the people I know over there and Spike UK just to kind of get an update on things. Say, look, you know, there's a massive demand from the UK MMA fan base to watch Bellator Live. What's going on? Any news, any updates? They kind of gave me, once again, a bit of a, you know, typical PR um, answer telling telling me how much they love MMA and Bellator. Um, but as things currently stand, there was no plans to change things. So for those of you who are listening outside of the UK who don't know, but perhaps aren't aware, at the moment, we're getting Bellator events a week later, uh, which, of course, in the world that we live in now in 2017 is just not good enough 
you know, it's live sports, you know, uh, in the world of social media, people know the results instantly. Um, so it kind of takes away from the element of watching um, fight sports, especially. Um, so when I spoke to the US Bellator PR folks, they told me, um, look, all you can perhaps do is, um, you know, keep writing in to Spike UK and Channel 5 and let them know how much you want to see Bellator, you know, live. Um, so that's, that's the message, you know, and I don't have, you know, email addresses and phone numbers off the top of my dome, uh, but it's not hard to find. And I think, honestly, the best way you can do things is in, in, a, in this day and age isn't by writing a letter or by, you know, um, calling them up on the phone and, you know, charging 50p a minute or whatever the, the call rates are going to be is get on Twitter, get on social media and uh, have at it. Bombard them. The The Spike UK uh, channel has a Twitter handle. Channel 5 has a Twitter handle. Uh, and I would advise uh, fans in the UK to get, get at them on Twitter and then perhaps maybe organize and maybe get a, a petition put together or something, right? And that's all you can do. You can only be vocal um, as uh, Mahatma Gandhi did back in the day in a peaceful in a peaceful way, uh, and hopefully change will come. Uh, you and me, Simon, we've spoken to Scott Coker about this uh, when he's been over. He wants it, the folks in the US want it, but with the way Viacom as a, as a global business is set up, which is very territorial, every market is different. And, uh, you know, how they get their ratings for that particular um, audience in their market, they've got their own plan for, you know, and they've got all these different products in the kind of, I suppose, Viacom catalog, you know, which includes Bellator, which perhaps includes VH1 uh, pr produced bits and pieces and MTV um, and uh, Lip Sync Battle is one, for example, um, you know. They've got to cherry pick and find out what's best for them to get the ratings that they want to get and get the, the ad revenue uh, for those time slots as well, which is prime time. So that's all they can do. That's all they can do. Um, I think I've pretty much covered it, but I'm sure you probably want to kind of get a couple of cents in as well here, Simon, on the whole Bellator UK TV situation, especially because you've written some great pieces in the past uh, about, you know, the TV situation in the UK, uh, the options available uh, in, in relation to the UFC. Yeah, I think it really is kind of it's kind of weird that in 2017 we've got a situation where a channel has access to a a live sports property yet doesn't seem to either have the knowledge or the wherewithal to actually put it out live. It seems almost almost laughable really. You've got this live TV product. If you don't have the linear room for it, so when you're scheduling TV channels it's normally done sort of weeks ahead of time, but you normally submit them to uh, the listings uh, like a week ahead. And you've got contracts for all sorts of different things. So every time you go on your TV guide and you press the guide button and you see all these channels and all these different things that are on your, your, your EPG, they're there for a specific reason. They're contracted to be there or what they're doing, they are fulfilling a, a deal whereby they've purchased content to run at a certain frequency, at a certain time of day. So sometimes you can't just move things around very easily. A lot of things are, con are contractually based. Even the, the, the sort of the super casino or the infomercials and stuff, that sort of through the night shopping that you sometimes see, to, to 
the overwhelming majority of us, it's crap and we're not interested in it. And we'd much rather watch other stuff. But this is all contracted. It's paid for. It's there for a reason. So it isn't always easy just to say, oh, we'll just slot this in here. Um, so I understand that there's limitations where there's only a finite amount of space and then other contracts may be preventing them from just slotting in stuff. But that doesn't mean they can't show it live through digital. We're in 2017. You know, Demand 5 is is a is 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 a platform much like the BBC iPlayer. You can go back and, and watch stuff. There's no reason why they couldn't show that live. Um, and particularly when there are European-based cards where it might be difficult to show them all live anyway because of the watershed here in the UK, which uh, for those outside of the UK is basically a broadcasting rule that means you cannot show programs of adult themes uh, before 9pm UK time on a normal channel or 8pm normal time for a subscription channel and you have to transition your content into that. So you can't be showing like Dora the Explorer at half past seven and then professional face punching at eight o'clock. It just doesn't, you can't do that either. So there needs to be some sort of, some sort of gradient, some moving into it. Um, so there's a whole load of different things at play here. But when you're doing it online, it, you know, a lot of those barriers to entry aren't there. So that for me is the biggest thing. If you can't get it on TV yet and you're working to try and do that, fine. Make it available on digital. Make it available on digital. Geo-block it. Everything you need to do, just like everybody else does. Um, and then at least the UK fans can still watch it. And that for me is probably the big thing. So the ideal is for it to be on TV, obviously, because then you just switch the TV set on go to Channel 5 or Spike UK, whatever channel it happens to be. Um, just a quick side thing. Bellator on MTV doesn't sound like a terrible fit either. I, I think, I think there's, 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 certain, uh, there's a certain crossover there. It's a younger demographic, I think, if you're looking to bring more fans in. And MMA in the main is kind of like a 18 to 24 demographic in a, in a lot of ways. So that might help, you know, maybe putting some bits and pieces on there, even if it's recap stuff. But um, but yeah, it looks like it's Channel Five and Spike UK. Um, get it on there, the uh, the live on demand stuff, or, or you know, show, show it live on digital. I think that's doable. But uh, I agree with you, Sandu. I think uh, approaching them through social media is is the best way. Um, and I don't know whether it makes sense to have sort of a unified sort of hashtag that everyone posts to, just so that it starts to pick up a bit of momentum. I don't know. Certainly, tag in Bellator MMA, um, their, their, you know their Twitter account. Tag in Spike UK and tag in Channel Five, um, and just just ask the question. So you know when when are we going to be able to watch this live, either on TV or via your website? You know because I think it's reasonable to expect in 2017 if they've got the rights, they're really it, it's not an enormous amount of effort for them to think, okay, we could be putting this out live through digital means, you know, BT sport successfully uh, did it. Then when they realized they couldn't show the prelims on TV, what do we do? Well, we've got our, we've got our app and our website. We show live content on, let's put it on that. And that's what they did. So I think it's a, it looks to me like it's something that Bellator want. I think Scott Coker, certainly when we asked him the question, Sandu, he, it's something that they want. I think it's ideal. It's not like episodic TV, like Geordie Shore or something, where it doesn't matter if you haven't watched it when it went out on TV. When it's live sport, you really have to. 
You know what I mean? It has to be available live. So, yeah, make some noise on media. Be be polite about it. You don't have to just completely kick their ass over it, but um, just ask the questions and and uh, and ask ask regularly and and get your MMA supporting friends to ask as well. And uh, I think over time, common sense will kick in. And when they've got the uh, you know once once they realise that also when the spike bosses in America, if they see that the fans in the UK. Or oh, sorry, the uh, the Viacom bosses in America. If they see that there's this 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 growing voice of support for Bellator content in the UK, they might be able to bring a little bit of uh, pressure to bear on the UK arm of, of Viacom and, and and their channels over here. So certainly nothing wrong with with making a bit of noise and asking. So yeah, I I completely agree with you, mate. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because um, for example, their upcoming show in Wembley at the SSC Arena, mm-hmm. that's going to get on a very short time delay, I think it's like an, an hour or two later, that's going to get shown on Channel 5, you know, mm. um, which is a massive event. You know, you've got Paul Daly, Rory McDonald, you've got MVP fighting on that card. And it's just a head-scratcher, you know. Um, you're, you're, you're going to get the UK event uh, on Channel 5. Okay, fine, it's an hour or two later. Fine, you know, big deal. But then, um, you know, all the big US events, it's a it's a week delay, mm. and it's you know given the time difference, they'd probably kick off at the same time the UFC events kick off here in the UK, which is about eleven thirty midnight anyway. So you're well past uh, the watershed here as it is. Just uh, you know, just a bit of a weird one, but hopefully you know as things move forward, you know that gets rectified because there's a lot of you know passionate MMA fans here in the UK and better tour. I've got a lot of the biggest um, UK MMA stars in their roster as well. So, um, and I think it's right for, for, for the UK fan base. I mean, you know, when Paul Daly knocked out Brennan Ward with that flying knee, you could bet your bottom dollar the, the UK MMA fans would have stayed up for that, you know, fight event anyway, because you had Tito Ortiz and Charles Sonnen uh, in the main event. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully things are sorted out. But before we move on... Um, this is a nice sort of segue, keeping in on the theme of Bellator. Uh, last week, on last week's show, uh, we were fortunate enough to kind of really quickly discuss a bit of breaking news, and that was Bellator uh, going to New York City, Madison Square Garden, uh, with a pay-per-view, no less. Uh, and at the time of us recording the uh, the show last week, uh, they had just announced Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva in the main event. Subsequently, Simon... Uh, they announced a second main event, so it's a double. It's a double main event, Simon. You've got you've got Fedor Emelianenko versus Matt Mitrione as the second main event, but then you've also got two title fights that have been announced for that particular card. You've got Michael Chandler defending his lightweight belt against Brent Primus, um, who I'll be honest, I didn't know much about, and I had to do I had to do a bit of a Google search on him. But then you've got a, a belter of a welterweight title fight, you've got the current champ, Douglas Lima, versus Lorenz Larkin. So, you know, and, and since then, you know, they've announced that, you know, Bellator 180 is essentially going to be the prelim card. And then Bellator NYC, the pay-per-view, the, the, the eventual five-fight main card will just be known as Bellator NYC. Um, so they've announced Aaron Pico, um, he's going to be making his uh, Bellator debut on the undercard, i.e. 
on the Bellator 180 prelim card. But let's focus on on the on the pay per view, Simon. Um, again, I don't know how we're going to end up watching it when uh, <laughs> when the event actually does roll around. I, I, I suspect we'll find a way. Uh, we'll find a way. We'll find a way uh, to watch it. But uh, that is a major major step forward with regards to putting on you know putting together some of the best fights they could possibly do given the roster at hand right yeah I, it's kind of interesting i i went on the submission radio this week and they were asking me about this and i initially said um this is a good thing for a start i think this is a good thing i think competition is a good thing and seeing bellator growing and being successful i think is beneficial to the sport of mixed martial arts as a whole uh, and I know sometimes it can be a little bit fashionable to have a bit of a dig at Bellator. But, um, I think what they're doing now under Scott Coker is 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 not to be scoffed at at all. I think I think what they're doing is is really important, and I think it's it's important that there is another avenue for fighters to make a living outside the UFC, uh, so that there isn't just this UFC and then just this huge drop off. Um, and we're seeing that now because the best out-of-contract guys who aren't staying with the UFC are now moving across to Bellator. Michael McDonald has recently joined Bellator. Lorenz Larkin has just joined Bellator. We know Rory McDonald has gone across. Mitrione was a high-profile sign-in. Um, Ryan Bader has just joined. Now, these are all guys who, you know, they're looking for a new lease of life in their careers, if you like, a fresh start, whatever it may be. This is perfect for them. I, I was... I was a little bit sceptical of the main event when it was announced because initially I'm not sure they announced Mitrione versus Fedor as a, a double main event. It was just announced as another fight. Um, but the idea of Chael versus Vanderlei being billed above Fedor makes not a lot of sense to me. I've since thought about this and from a competitive standpoint and from a legitimate standpoint, I stand by that. How Chael can be main eventing after what happened in his last fight, I think that's 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 questionable. Um, and Vanderlei Silva hasn't fought in four years, so I don't know. It's a fight that I think people will be interested to watch. Should it be the card topper? I don't know about that. I also then think about the Fedor Mitrione fight. That was going to be the main event in San Jose on a free card. So to then have that as your poster fight, and then say, oh, and you got a spend 40 bucks or 60 bucks or what. I don't, I don't know what they're charging for it. But um, when it was previously going to be available for uh, for free, that's also not a great look either. But from a from a from just a competitive standpoint, I think, and, and from a legitimacy standpoint, Fedor Mitrione is a far more legit fight than than than, uh, than Sodom versus Vanderlei. And then you've got the other question of, you've got these two fights, they're basically legends fights, aren't they? Yeah. Um, with, uh, with Mitrione sort of being the, the one sort of still active fighter in that little group. So those two fights are at the top of the card because they're the big names. But then underneath that, you've got two legitimate world championship matches. Uh, and you would normally expect the world championship matches to be at the top of the card. I understand why they're not in this case. Michael Chandler versus Brent Primus. I think uh, Chandler, he's, he's legit. I, I like watching his fights. He's an exciting guy to watch. Always delivers... Uh, always delivers good action in his fights. Don't know much about Brent Primus, same as you. I know he's undefeated, um, but he's still relatively young in his career. I think he's only had seven fights. So 
he's he's got himself a great opportunity there. But this Lorenz Larkins Douglas Lima fight, I think, will be excellent. And I had a bit of a conversation with a few fans on Twitter because I mentioned about how I found it interesting that when Rory McDonald signed for Bellator, he didn't get an immediate title shot. They gave him Paul Daly. Lorenz Larkin has since signed for Bellator and gets an immediate title shot. And I commented at the time saying perhaps uh, Rory was the victim of unfortunate timing. And I, I've had people come back to me saying, well, Lorenz Larkin's in form. He's won his last few fights. Rory's lost his last two. Yeah, I understand that. But they were both in the UFC not long ago. I don't remember seeing Lorenz Larkin ranked anywhere near Rory McDonald. Um, and granted, Lorenz has had has, has had some very impressive wins lately. I, I I just think Rory has been operating on a higher level. He's won some and he's lost some, but he's been operating at that higher level. So I find it interesting that that, that Rory wasn't given the title shot, but Lorenz was. Maybe his manager negotiated a better deal for him. I don't know. Um, and 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 the other thing, very quickly, and I'll just I'll I'll let you sound off on it as well, is. You you've got to think that they booked the London show before they realised that they were going to do this pay per view, because Michael Venom Page is a man born to compete at Madison Square Garden, and yet here he is, and I almost it almost sounds like I'm committing treason by saying this, but if you're Bellator, Rory versus Daly, and plus Michael Venom Page versus anybody, he's he's down to fight Derek Anderson. So let's say Michael Page versus Derek Anderson. Those two fights on on an MSG card would make a hell of a lot of sense. But they've put them on the London card and we're the lucky ones because we're going to get them over here and I'm happy about that. But if you're Scott Coker, you must be thinking, I wish wish we could put Michael Venom Page on the MSG card. But to do that now would be a PR disaster, wouldn't it? So I find it interesting. I wonder whether the MSG thing came together quite late. Um, And... uh, it came came together right in order to get the Sonnen fight on there and to get the uh, the Fedor Mitrione fight back on. But and I, I expect we might see James Gallagher versus uh, AJ McKee on that Madison Square Garden uh, event as well. Um, but yeah, I, I was just as soon as it, I was looking at them, you've got to think they must have wanted MVP on that card, but they kind of painted themselves into a corner by putting them on the London card. But I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I, I just found that very interesting. Yeah, you made some good points there. Um, I think timing is definitely everything. Um, I think I don't think the MSG card was kind of solidified um, at the time they were perhaps putting the London card together. And, and I've always had a feeling that Bellator are definitely taking uh, the UK market, but specifically um, the London event, very, very seriously. I kind of go back to a year ago when they announced uh, the debut Bellator show, and they were bringing over at the time, the biggest draw in the sport when it comes to TV ratings and Kimbo Slice, you know? They were, yeah. They were bringing Kimbo Slice. He was supposed to main event the London card. So that showed you exactly what they thought in regards to this particular market. And then, in my opinion, they've solidified their intent um, with the UK market and this London event um, by bringing another incredible um, main event in Paul Daly and Rory McDonald. So over here, you, me, and the rest of the UK MMA community definitely not complaining 
with that with the state of that Bellator card, and I thought it kind of worked out really well for them because everybody was kind of comparing it uh, to the UFC um, London main event. Uh, so it kind of, you know, in and of itself, kind of gave them a little bit of a positive you know, PR spin uh, without having to do too much hard work there. But it's interesting this MSG card because that Fedor Matt Mitrione fight that was supposed to have happened by now. So imagine if it had gone through and Mitrione didn't suffer from kidney stones, that fight would be a non-factor for this MSG event. Correct. So that's kind of worked out uh, as it has. I think the Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva fight was going to happen that so, you know, sooner or later anyway, and I think it makes sense uh, for MSG. They're two massive, massive names in the sports, in the sport legends of the game. Uh, I do agree with you, however. If I was going to position one above the other, uh, I don't know, heavyweight. A, a big heavyweight main event always for me has to trump everything else in, in my opinion. Um, but you know, you've got them positioning as a double main event and, and I can see, I can see their point of view and, and where they're coming from. Cause I think come fight week, you're going to get a lot more out of Chael and Vandalay going at it during the press conference and, and the media rounds. than you perhaps are with Fade or Matt Mitrio. And I think Fade doesn't have a, a translator with him. So but I can see it from their point of view, and 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 it's New York City, so you can imagine the buzz and the media that they're going to have, you know, you know, attracted to all of their press conferences and media events leading up to the uh, to that particular show. And then, yeah, the two title fights. I think for for Michael Chandler, that's this is just a, a pick up and you know pick up your paycheck on the on the door. You know, um, I, I fancy him. He's the veteran here. Um, I mean, I know that Brent Primus is is undefeated. Uh, to only have what is it seven? Is he seven and zero? Yeah, I seven think he's and seven and zero. Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, record now, seven and zero. I don't know about that one. I mean, you know, I think there could have been a few other guys up the pecking order there that could have made a bit of a tastier fight for Michael Chandler, uh, and he's just come off an, a spectacular win uh, over Benson Henderson. Yeah, uh, we actually somehow ended up watching uh, live after Bellator UFC uh, uh, Belfast UFC fight night. We found uh, a way. We found a way, Simon. We found a way. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at that Douglas Lima Lorenz Larkin uh, fight, and uh, that's got fireworks written all over it. It really has. It Lorenz really Larkin has. is managed by Audi Attar, who is the same manager as one Michael Bisping and one Conor McGregor. So perhaps they're, and he's a shrewd businessman. So perhaps there could have been some sort of contract negotiation on his part in getting Lorenz this deal where perhaps he would get an immediate title shot. Um, but, you know. For Lorenz, I'm especially happy because I remember uh, interviewing him uh, in Manchester last year. And, and at the time, he was very open and forthcoming about his situation. He did want to sign with the UFC, but he just wanted them to kind of appreciate him. Um, and like in subsequent interviews, I've, I've just kind of uh, the impression I've got from Lorenz is he just wants someone to say, hey, we believe in you. We're going to give you a platform. We're going to, you know, uh, have you involved in as many media opportunities as we can. That's all he was basically asking for, mm. you know? Um, he never got that from the UFC, at least from his uh, perspective and, and from his point of view. Um, but that's all in the past now. He's got a, a new home. It's Bellator. He's back with his old promoter, Scott Coker, who he knows very, very well from his strike force days. And, um, you know, that welterweight division is just so tasty now. You could have uh, any combination of Lima, Larkin versus Daly and McDonald for the second half of 2017. And I'm happy to take any combination of those all day long. Um, and then the final bit that you mentioned, Simon, 100% MVP in MSG 
just makes all the sense in the world. And who knows, you know, if he comes across, if he comes out of his fight um, at, at that Wembley card in uh, at the SSC Arena, um, unscathed, uh, with no injuries, maybe he could do a quick turnaround. That would be a very uh, quick turnaround. It's it like would a two be a two-week turnaround quick. or something, isn't it? Is it? Is it two weeks? I don't think there's much in it. There's not much in it because here's the thing: like we were talking about the London Bellator card as being one of Bellator's it's ten. A month. Is it a month? Okay. It's a month. Yeah. So maybe it's doable if he goes and starches Derek Anderson in a minute, which Anderson's pretty durable. I don't, you know, that's going to be impressive if he can do that. But um, yeah, maybe it's doable. But it's, uh, I think it's certainly one that he'd 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 be up for. Um, but uh, yeah, now we were talking about this London Bellator event being one of their tent pole events. Yeah. If that's the case, we're going to have back to back tent pole events, which is because that's it is literally the next card. So you know that would be somewhat unusual as well. But uh, here's a thought, and I just I did a little bit of crafty googling while you were while you were talking there. There is no current heavyweight champion in Bellator. No. Why not make Fedor versus Mitrione a heavyweight championship fight and put it on top of the card? Yeah. Three I've world actually... titles, Madison Square Garden, the heavyweight championship of the world, Fedor Emelianenko, all-time great, going for world championship gold again. If he wins, great story. You've got this legend holding a world championship, the heavyweight world championship, and he's won it at Madison Square Garden. If Matt Mitrione wins, you've ushered in a new era, you've established a champion, who will be prepared to defend his belt going forward. So, um, yeah, I think that's... Perhaps maybe Fedor isn't... I don't know what Fedor's contract situation is with uh, Bellator, whether it's just... It's on like a one-fight one basis and then they revisit. Um, maybe that's why it isn't a championship fight. But, but um, you know, that to me... Because I looked at it and thought, who's the heavyweight champion? And I couldn't for the life of me think, think who it was because I couldn't remember a title fight for a while. And I looked it back up. The last time the heavyweight title fight was uh, contested was back in 2013. Vitaly Minikov uh, defeated Czech Congo. Um, and uh, was it 2014? Sorry, 2014. Um, and uh, yeah, Minikov was stripped of the title in 2016 after failing to defend the belt. So I don't know. It just seemed like a natural thing. But stick a belt on that fight. It kick Kickstart that division. Because if Fedor wins, there'll be no no shortage of heavyweights in that Bellator division wanting to fight him. If uh, if Mitrione wins, you've got a new champion on, on on the block, and then you know you've you've got options for him as well. So plus you've also got the light heavyweight situation now with Ryan Bader joining, and it sounds like he's going to fight uh, for the title in his first fight against Phil Mister Wonderful Davis. But I don't necessarily know if it's going to be on that Madison Square Garden card. Maybe they'll hold that back. Uh, to headline a future Bellator show. But yeah, no, it's interesting stuff. But overall, mate, having Bellator venturing into pay-per-view and I'll be keeping a close eye on how successful the event is as you know, in terms of the box office and pay-per-view numbers. Um, I think it's good for the sport and you just hope that the event itself is, is, is a success and it encourages Bellator to put on more big cards and more events. Um, and uh, continues to grow and offers offers more options for not just for the fighters but for the fans as well. It's good to have these different shows coming up now and again and uh, watching different stuff. I know we've got a bit of a run of European events in Bellator coming up. We've got 
We've got the the show in May in in London, but prior to that, we've got back to back events in in Central Europe. I think we've got Torino or Turin, as we call it, in uh, in in April, and then I think the very next weekend they're in Budapest. So um, they're looking to make an imprint over here in Europe, which is great for us. Uh, and obviously, we've got the big London show, and then one month after that, MSG, uh, and that throw in, and that leads nicely into. Uh, International Flight Week, which is only a month after that, I think, for for the UFC. So busy, busy stuff, mate. Busy stuff. Yeah, International Flight Week is just a couple of weeks after the Bellator NYC card. And I like the way they're kind of spacing out some of their events. You've got Bellator 178, April 21st. Bellator 179, that's London show, May 19th. So about a month later. Yeah. And then Bellator NYC, a month later after that. So that's... That's nice breathing room in between events to allow, you know, your marketing department and advertising department to kind of, you know, everyone firing on all cylinders and kind of um, everyone rowing in the same direction. And it's not a bare bones kind of skeleton team, which the UFC have been criticized uh, for lately, you know, um, especially with regards to, um, you know, posters and and promos, perhaps not being, um, you know, of the highest quality or what we're, you know, what we what we've been used to in the past. Okay, mate. Um, as you can probably hear, uh, for reasons known only to my neighbours, it's ten to nine. They've decided to do some late night drilling. <laughs> nice, but let's let's just carry on anyway, Sander. You got another question? I do. Uh, Daryl Chumbly says Dan Hardy may fight again. Matt Hughes making noise about fighting again. Thoughts on seeing that matchup in the UFC? Dan Hardy and Matt Hughes. I don't mind that actually because if Dan Hardy wants to make a comeback and Matt Hughes wants to make a comeback, this might be dipping into Bellator's playbook a little bit when it comes to you know using legends. Um, but I think we're both in agreement. Like you know, if, if two veterans, um, shall we say, of the sport, um, you know, want to fight um, and they're not harming um, the progression of any young prospects or holding up the division or any titles or kind of taking up anyone's spots, so to speak. I don't really mind it too much, especially if there's kind of no major history of kind of, you know, consecutive knockouts or or, or things of that nature. You know, Dan Hardy's been out for quite some time. Um, You know, he's been dealing with this whole wolf heart syndrome um, and it, you know, looks like he's got the doctors all clear um, now just needs to, I suppose, present that documentation to the UFC and get the thumbs up from them uh, before he can resume his fighting career. He's gone on the record. We interviewed him, um, well, multiple times at this stage. Um, and, um, you know, the whole idea of him fighting Mickey Goss, that's a, a non-star for him. He just wants to fight, you know, people in his weight class, whether that's maybe him dropping down a weight class to, to lightweight even, Um without disrupting the progression of, of, you know, the young bucks, so to speak. Matt Hughes is in an interesting situation now because he was on one of these I'm in Dana White's best friends club deals uh, with Chuck Liddell and uh, and a couple of others. Uh, and since WMEIMG, you know, came in and took over, um, they've let quite a few people go. And uh, Matt Hughes is one of them. He's no longer on that kind of uh, executive kind of office whatever his role was kind of contract, you know, and I suppose that monthly paycheck has stopped coming in. And I guess he can still considers himself a big name in the sport, which he rightly is as a former champion. 
uh, in the UFC. And, um, you know, he wants to continue fighting. If it's him versus Dan Hardy, I don't mind that. I think there's a little bit of uh, history between the two as well. Um, and I think this goes back to Matt Hughes's uh, um, days as a hunter. I think he still is a, a hunter. And Dan Hardy kind of weighing in on uh, on Matt Hughes kind of showing some of his kill on social media. So there's a little bit of a little bit of history there, which they could perhaps you know build up to a fight. What are your thoughts on that, Simon? Matt Hughes, Dan Hardy, does that does that do it for you? It, it in, on some level it does because you've got two guys who have both been out of the sport for a while. I mean, Matt Hughes hasn't fought since September 2011. That's a long time to be out of the sport. He hasn't mm-hmm. won a fight since 2010. So, you know, I don't know. And and the other thing is, Dan Hardy is is a fighter who is getting smaller. Um, yeah. He's 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 stayed fit. He's changed his diet. He's now almost almost uh, completely a vegan now. I think, or he's certainly a, uh, fighting. His, oh, sorry, um, a practicing vegetarian. That's for sure. Um, and uh, so rather than coming back at 170, which was his original weight class, he wants to, I think he wants to come back as a 155er. So you can imagine Matt Hughes probably isn't going to come back as a 155er. So I, I think for that reason, that fight might not necessarily be the one. I like, I think I've said this on here before, but I like the Diego Sanchez fight for, um, for Dan Hardy. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Diego's had a lot of fights. He's active. Um, but he's active at 155 and I think uh, that fits into kind of like the legends category that kind of would tick the boxes for Dan I think it would be a fight that the fans would be interested to see uh, I think it's a fight that fans would be a, would be interested to see for Diego as well I think there is a big we are beginning to get into the territory with Diego where it's like what fights are out there for him now? You know, he he fought Joe Lozon at UFC 200 uh, and Lozon blitzed him. Lozon's another guy who could potentially fight Dan Hardy. Um, you know, it's they're the sort of guys that I would I would look for. I think the Diego fight makes a, make, makes a lot of sense. I suspect that the Matt Hughes fight is unlikely at, at 155. It would have to happen at 170. Mm-hmm. And even then, can Matt get down to 170 again? Um, I don't know. Maybe Matt Hughes, Vitor Belfort. You know, Vitor Belfort wants to wants to fight uh, someone. He wants to, he wants the Legends League. Then maybe Matt Hughes, Vitor Belfort, or one eighty five, or a one eight, you know, a one eighty two catchweight or something. Maybe that would work. Um, I think Dan is better off fighting someone like Diego Sanchez. But I do think I do think there's room in the sport for these kind of legends fights. But I think they've got to be. You have to be very careful with them as well. I don't, you have to be really careful and make sure they're competitive. The last thing you need is an aging veteran getting absolutely blown out the water unnecessarily because it's it's not going to be a good look for the sport. And on a on a similar topic, very briefly, Vitor Belfort. Um, it's been. I think it's been misreported. I've got to be honest with you. There, there, there were stories doing around. Vitor Belfort wants to fight CM Punk, and and I, for one, I've read the transcripts of the interview, and I don't think Vitor Belfort wants to fight CM Punk. If he does, he's ridiculous, right? But I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think 
I think he was joking. I think he was joking about that sort of fight. I think he wanted a fight that that that, that he could win, and he was he was basically making a joke at CM Punk's expense. That was my understanding of it. You know, give me someone easy like CM Punk. It was like that. I don't think you know putting even knackered old TRT free Vitor Belfort against CM Punk would be uh, to quote uh, Luke Thomas promotional malpractice if they made that fight it would just be ridiculously lopsided and CM Punk could get badly hurt so that's 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 pointless but I do think that the, the, that the story was misreported definitely because it gave the impression that Vitor actually wanted that fight and I'm not so sure that's the case um, and anybody who does want that fight is, is, is daft there you go I'll move on <laughs> Uh, our good friend Liam Hap of uh, of Yahoo uh, tweets in and says Wikipedia had a false listing of what? No, I'm not having it. Wikipedia is 100% true, honest, and factual. Shock horror. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia had a false listing of Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy two at Amsterdam Arena in July under UFC events last week. Yeah. But what if? But what if? Liam asks. Well, first of all, Amsterdam Arena is not happening. They're going back to Rotterdam. September so, 2nd. Yeah. And uh, I think the chances of us getting title fights in Europe are slim to none. Um, it's once in a blue moon. Uh, we were lucky to get Michael Bisping last year. It was a special case. It was uh, first British champion in his backyard in Manchester. It was on a pay-per-view. It was late at night. And I just can't see a title fight involving uh, Holly Holm, who is still, even though she's been on a bit of a, a downward spiral at the moment as of late with regards to results, she is still uh, a draw um, for the UFC. And in addition to that, they're trying to put as many title fights or at least stack up pay-per-views with at least one or two title fights moving forward. Um, and, you know, I think a Holly Holm, Jermaine Durand, we still does better numbers that, than a Demetrius Johnson title fight. It, it is what it is, you know, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I think the chances of that happening are, are slim to none. But what say you, Simon? Do you think we could get that rematch for the Bantamweight UFC Championship in Rotterdam? Weirdly, we we could, because here's the thing, right? And and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the 145 title, it's the featherweight title, and it's, it's, it Sorry, was, anyway. Yeah, it wasn't even on it wasn't even on the list until this year, right? So this is a brand new weight class. So arguably, if there is one world championship that you could get away with putting on European soil, maybe this is the one. Um because the division, to all intents and purposes, barely exists at this stage, right? And um oh hang on, just a little update. We've moved from drilling to hammering now fantastic this is great it feels like when the channel tunnel was being made and they're going to break through and there's going to be a little french person pop through in a minute and say hello but um yeah back back to rotterdam i i i i can see this fight happening in rotterdam if they really want to go for it um of all the divisions that they could do it with i think this is the one the division is barely it barely exists at this point they need to build up some steam they need to build up a champion the champion as is um is Jermaine Durandamy. A lot of question marks over the fight. There was issues of should a point have been deducted and all this sort of stuff. Um, lots of unfinished business from that fight. 
you could hold the rematch in Rotterdam. If you want to put the champion on in the one area where they're going to get the biggest take-up and the biggest buzz and the most amount of media coverage for the champion, and we've seen the UFC take champions back home. Stipe did it in Cleveland, let's not forget. Taking Jermaine back to Rotterdam, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I think had it been any other weight class, I would say probably not. Um, let's say Overeem won the heavyweight belt, right, off Stipe in, in Cleveland. Would they put an event on in, in Holland? Probably not, unless they could get the Amsterdam Arena and do some through-the-night thing like they did with Bisbing. I don't think they would do that. But for this weight class, where at the moment, Jermaine Durandamy uh, is 50% of that weight division, because there are only two of them at this point, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they could do it. Maybe they could do it. You know, the question Liam said is, what if? And I guess this is the what if. They could do it. Um, I think looking at that 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 Rotterdam card, you've got four Dutch stars in the UFC, haven't you? You've got you've got Gegard Mousasi, who fights Chris Weidman uh, in two weeks' time or one week's time. Um, you've got Alistair Overeem, who is in pole position to get the next shot at the heavyweight world title, arguably. You've got Stefan Struve, who is probably the most likely person to be put on that card at this stage. Um, and you've got Jermaine Durandamy, who is the UFC women's featherweight champion. So I don't think Stefan Struve could carry that Rotterdam card unless you put him in there with a with a, with a superstar heavyweight. Um, but you would, you would expect him to be on there somewhere. Overeem's in the heavyweight title picture, so he's probably going to be fighting stateside now, um, having positioned himself. Um, Masasi will only just have fought, so he would need a quick turnaround. But if Masasi beats Weidman, his next fight's the number one contender fight. You would expect that to probably be during International Fight Week. Um, and then, then you've got this. Maybe this is the most likely one. Um, that was my initial thought when 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 the event was announced. Um, we've seen titles held in Europe, uh, contested in Europe before. And given that there's no depth to this division whatsoever, there's no obvious what's going to happen next. Well, in theory, the winner fights Cyborg, right? So Cyborg's currently not available, at the, I, I don't think. So do the fight in Europe. Whoever wins gets a bit of shine, whether it's Holly, then she goes back to America and fights Cyborg. Or if it's Jermaine, she gets the job done twice against Holly, leaves no doubt that elevates her star then go over to America and fight Cyborg. So I think it's doable, mate. The more I talk about this, the more I think this is doable. Yeah, I'm going to scrooge that and say nothing's <laughs> going to happen. Um, we should be so lucky. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just can't see happening. You're a killjoy, Sandu. To be frank, I think um, with the Cyborg giving up the, uh, the Invicta band, uh, Featherweight Championship, um, I think the next time we see that UFC uh, featherweight championship defender, it will be against Cyborg, and that's going to be on pay-per-view. In you, don't, you don't think we'll get the rematch? Uh, nah. I think, I think they're, going to go, they're going to hold on and go, go straight for the, uh, the Cyborg fight. And do, and do Ronda versus Holly as the co-main. That would be bloody brilliant if they did that. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I mean, to be honest with you, that's the way I'd book it. We're in crackpot uh, theory territory now, but what the hell? Let's just go the whole hog. Yeah. Um, wouldn't that wouldn't that be something if you had 
Uh, Have an all-women's main card. It's doable. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was about to say, uh, a, a, you know, an all-women co-main and main event pay-per-view, which yeah. would be a first in itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, why not? You know, that's a good gimmick in itself. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm getting into pro wrestling WrestleMania mode at the moment. Uh, but I love the idea of the UFC going all in Victor uh, and having strawweight fights, featherweight fights, bantamweight fights, um, throw in a few, you know, flyweight fights for, for women that are, you know, trying to get a flyweight division, um, you know, started up. Uh, I love that idea. But in terms of just a top, top of the card, you can't do any better than a cyborg um, title fight or a, a challenging for Durandami's title. And then you've got Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey as a co-main event, uh, also at featherweight to ha- to then uh, present uh, and you know bring up the next contender. Um, so I'm all in. There now, you go. Now, if we don't get that, I'll be disappointed. So <laughs> <laughs> See, they actually did this one nine three. They had women main and co-main, didn't they? When when Holly knocks out Ronda, the co-main was Joanna versus uh, Valerie Letourneau. You're correct. Yes, that so, is right. So, so they've done, done they've done the two top fights. So the next step is to do a main card. I was going to suggest International Fight Week, that fight night show on the Thursday would be an ideal thing to do. But you wouldn't put a world title fight on the Thursday night. So, um, but yeah, you could easily put together a, a, an all female card. That would be if kind you, of a cool thing to do. If you put Cyborg and Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm on the same pay per view. That could potentially break break the records right there, because Cyborg has proven to be a draw. Ronda Rousey proven to be a draw. Holly Holm proven to be a draw. You've and the backstory a, and everything else, you know. Yeah, and you know, you take Misha Tate out of the equation, and you've got three of the biggest draws in in women's MMA history right there and then. So um, yeah, we could we could uh, hypothesize and speculate and conspiracy theory uh, this all day long, but um, none of it's going to happen. Of course, we know this, yeah. don't we? But you know, it's, it's nice. What if to yes. uh, to go back to Liam's question? What if? What if? Um, Kyle Matthew Hilton asks, maybe my question of this is, is MMA sustainable in mainstream, e.g. for journalists with current culture? This might be a a good question for you to take a stab at, Simon, because you freelanced, you've been a a full-timer, you've traveled the world covering the sport, you're back to freelancing at the moment. I've only ever freelanced, so I've yet to experience, you know, um, being a member of the MMA media in a full-time capacity. Um, so from my perspective, I can only say that opportunities in Europe, but specifically for us in the UK, because we are Brits, are very, very limited. Um, you've only literally had a couple of folks um, that have been uh, covering the sport full-time, and it is their full-time gig. Um, but you're probably in a much better position to speak on this because you've had a, lo- a ton more experience than I have, um, especially with a major UK outlet? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question, this. And it's something that it's kind of relevant to me right now and my position. I'll, for those that don't know, um, I've been covering the sport for about eight, nine years now. And the vast majority of that time, it was kind of a side gig. So I was, I was always a full-time sports journalist, um, either covering all sports for the Daily Mirror or I was working at BT Sport working on their portfolio of sports rights um, that they were showing across their TV channels. Um, and MMA was always part of that. Um, and I managed to, when I was at the Mirror, managed to 
sort of uh, sort of finagle it into becoming more of a regular sport on the mirror and, and making it a bigger thing. Um, but the last 21, 22 months or so, um, when I was working for The Sun, MMA was my whole job. Uh, I was full-time covering purely MMA. And to the best of my knowledge, I was the only person in the UK in that position. There are other journalists in the national press who cover MMA, but they also cover other sports as well. Even Gareth A. Davis, who is probably the best known, um, he actually is by trade a boxing journalist and he transitioned into doing MMA as well and has, uh, has, has done really well for himself doing that as well. But he also covers like disability sport and polo and other sports like this. So for me to be doing just MMA as a full-time job really was, uh, it was a dream gig. But as I've since found out, having been made redundant, there's no equivalent job to, to, to jump into. And I'm currently in a position where I'm doing a little bit of freelancing here and there, and I'm looking for my next my next landing place, really. And it's something that me and Sandu have spoken about um, sort of off off air for, for weeks and weeks now, because it's, 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 it's getting on a bit now. So, um, But I actually said this to you before we went on air today, Sandu, looking around at the UK media um, industry and trying to find places that cover the sport of MMA as a sport, like give it proper sports coverage. There aren't really that many options out there. There are some people out there who do cover MMA uh, as part of their gig and, you know, they do, they do write legitimate stuff, but a lot of it gets drowned out in the noise of the, the sort of the clicky stuff, uh, the show busy stuff. And, I think for a lot of the UK media, certainly the mainstream media, MMA is almost treated in the same way that celebrity gossip is treated. It, it, that seems to be the stuff that that they really like to push. And it's a shame because underneath all of that, there is a legitimate sport trying to get out there. And um, we found it with The Sun. When I, was, when I started, they sat me down and said, almost verbatim, they said, Sire, we don't know shit about MMA. Um, we're just going to let you lead how this thing works, um, and off you go. And for the first year or so, that's exactly what happened. But what happened after that was people started to look at the analytics and saw that Conor McGregor started to really resonate on the, on the analytics and uh, Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. Those people, it was like, okay, we need to start writing anything and everything about those guys. And then other people started writing stuff. And Nothing against those people, but the stuff they were writing was crap. Um, and and you only need to go on sites and look, and, and you'll see what I mean. And what happened was that started to drown out the the legitimate stuff that I was trying to do. And I think eventually it got to a point where they decided, do you know what, we can probably do without Cy writing this stuff because we're happy writing the Conor McGregor clicky stuff and we can basically lift actual stories from other sites and repurpose them and publish them. To me, that seems to be the business model for a lot of uh, the uh, the UK newspaper press, which is a shame. Um, certainly a shame for me personally because I'm currently not working. So, uh, but yeah, looking around at alternative places, there aren't really, there isn't really anywhere. And as, as I said to you before we came on air, if I want to cover the sport, I'm a sports journalist. I've been a sports journalist for about 18 years now, and and. I want to cover a sport properly. I don't, you know, I understand the need for doing some of the fun, wacky stuff. And that's okay. I used to do a bit of that at the, at the mirror, but we also had the legit stuff with it. And I think there's a balance to be struck. 
Um, and here in the UK, we've kind of gone too far towards the clicky stuff. And when you're trying to grow the coverage of a sport, that's that's where the problems come in. You look at professional soccer over here, you get the best of both. You get good writing, but you also get the fun and game stuff. With MMA, it's mostly the fun and game stuff. It drowns out the good stuff. Um, so for me, looking for a looking for a job, my best bet is an overseas outlet, which which is it means I'm competing against a different group of people and all the rest of it, and you know. It, it, it remains to be seen whether I'm successful in getting that gig, uh, working for a, for an outlet overseas. But that's the that, that that's the long and short of it. Here in the UK, it isn't treated. I don't think the people in the in the decision making positions are, are clued up enough yet to treat it as a sport. I think they're covering it because they know it clicks, and that's pretty much it. And that's from from a sports journalist perspective, it's disappointing. Because if we had an MMA junkie equivalent in the UK, and again, we said this before we went on air, just from the, the writing talent that's available in the UK and Ireland, if there was somebody running a site that was funded to that level that you could actually put it together, there could be a really strong roster of writers put together and a really strong site put together. But unfortunately, that's not there. So at the moment, you look at the UK, everybody wants to read about MMA and wants to read legit stuff. Really, you're not reading a UK site. You're reading MMA Junkie or MMA Fighting or uh, the stuff Brett Okamoto puts out on ESPN uh, because they're the, they're the guys doing the legit stuff. Um, so we're light years behind over here. We're, I think there are certain individuals who are trying to push the thing up, and, and you know, but you still need the people above them, the people making the decisions to say, we're going to buy into this properly as a sport. We want to cover this sport just as legitimately as we cover boxing or as we cover rugby or as we cover football. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. So uh, that's probably as far as I can go with it. I don't know where else. TV-wise, I don't think we're too badly served, to be honest. I know, you know, BT Sport has had its critics and I've been one of them in the past, but we get every show now and they're all in the same place. I don't think there are too many other places. Even in America, they don't get it all in one place. So we're actually not bad, you know. We're we're, we're pretty well served over here, um, but from a from a, a journalistic coverage point of view, um, I don't think we're anywhere near there yet. Um, and I'd love I'd love that day to come, um, but I think I think we're I think we're a, a good couple or three years away from that at best. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed it there, Simon. Um, I mean, my personal route is I never even thought about a UK outlet. Um, because I just didn't, I wasn't confident in the idea of a, a UK outlet supporting uh, me in trying to cover the sport. So when me and Abby first started, uh, and for those of you who don't know who Abby is, Abby Saban is now a full-time videographer and editor for MMA Junkie. So a lot of the video content you see on MMA Junkie, he uh, he's got a big part in in producing that. Uh, when we first started together. It was just about um, producing video content, getting it out there, uh, and hope, hopefully getting picked up by one of the big boys over stateside. Um, and, uh, you know, John Morgan gave us a chance, and we've been producing video content for MMA Junkie ever since. Um, and, you know, I've been doing that now for a good few years. And the only logical step for, up from there is to either get a full-time gig either at MMA Junkie, but outside of that, 
it's going to have to be for an, another major U.S. outlet who is interested in expanding their operations outside of just covering the UFC or MMA in North America and covering uh, events in Europe. And, you know, if you look at the landscape in Europe, it's very, very healthy. You've got Cage Warriors, you've got Bama, you've got KSW, you've got ACB, you've got UFC are holding about five, six events per year. You've got Bellator holding about five or six events per year. So that's a, that's a lot of MMA uh, to cover. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, the uh, the commitment from some of the bigger mainstream outlets here covering the sport properly um, and getting legit talent uh, on board their roster of, of journalists to cover the sport maybe goes hand in hand with the fact that perhaps MMA still isn't on par with the likes of boxing, for example. Uh, boxing, you know, here in the UK, you know, it's on Sky Sports every single day of the week. You know, it's uh, it's on prime time on the weekend, every weekend, you know. So that's how stars are built. That's how sports um, are kind of appreciated by the widest possible viewing public. You know, um, it's still very much a minority that will stay up until three four, five, six in the morning uh, on most weekends to watch the UFC product. Um, and the UFC European office um, have done a great job over the years uh, trying to bring, you know, as many events as possible. I, I remember a time when it was maybe one or two a year and that was it, you know. And then when the UFC kind of um, wanted to expand um, their overall event schedule, uh, that was a great thing for a lot of different markets, um, Europe, Brazil uh, and Asia at the time. But And although they've scaled back a little bit in Asia um, uh, and scaled back a little bit, in Brazil, and um, what I mean by scale back, I think it's still benefited Brazil because they've, you know, cut down on the number of fight nights, but they're kind of bolstering the number of you know big pay-per-view events there. So it's kind of benefited Brazil in a way. But here in Europe, you know, the UFC have kind of have maintained that number of five or six events per year, and every now and then they've kind of come come out, you know, cricket bat swinging, hitting a six with a with a big pay-per-view event like Manchester last year or uh, a big event in London at the O2 uh, with Anderson Silva and Michael Bisping, or just going back a couple of years, the coronation of Conor McGregor in that fantastic show in Dublin. Or, you know, again, it didn't go his way last time, but everything was there for Alexander Gustafsson in Stockholm, uh, you know, in a 30,000-seat uh, arena. So, you know, the opportunities are there, and um, like I've always said, cream will rise to the crop. And uh, I think... You know, what you and me, Simon, and, and one or two others on this side of the pond are doing is is quality stuff. It's really good stuff. It kind of stacks up against some of the, the best guys covering the sport stateside, given the fact that we don't get as many reps as they do. We don't get as many opportunities as they do. You know, we were just in, uh, in London covering the UFC event a few weeks ago. Our next major opportunity won't be until... Bellator come with their event in May and then fingers crossed hopefully will be in Stockholm um, for the UFC event in May as well but that's two months from now yeah. you know so all we can do in the, in the interim is uh, keep covering the sport as best as we can from from afar we still get you know a lot of the same opportunities um, when it's a, a media call we're, get, we're provided with the invites um, you know we can we can do pretty much everything else in in the world that we live in today um but like I said, uh, like what you like you said, Simon, um, if a, a major UK mainstream outlet wants to cover the sport legitimately, 
and they want to get the best talent on board who cover the sport honestly, truthfully, ethically, independently, um, and um, you know without any bias. Um, they don't need to look too far. It's just uh, depends on whether they're looking in the right places, shall we say? So, so hopefully things change in time. Um, you know, it'd be nice. Uh, I think it's everyone's dream uh, to get paid to do something that you love. That's the dream um, you know, for everyone in life. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm very appreciative that, you know, I've been in a position to, to be a, a contributor and a bit part player for, for MMA Junkie over the last couple of years. And it's kind of helped me kind of raise my profile. And that's led to a few other opportunities here and there, a few bits of freelance work. Um, I did uh, over the last year for, for the likes of Flow Combat and Fighters Only. You know, nice little paid gigs here and there. So hopefully that continues. And um, But I, I think that's a, that's a great question. Uh, it's not something that we've talked about too much in great depth or detail on any, on any of our shows in the past. And hopefully that helps illustrate um, more about what me and Simon do on a day-to-day basis, uh, kind of gives you a little peek behind the curtain with regards to... Um, the life that we're living or the life that we're trying to live. Um, and, uh, and, you know, maybe that's something that we can be a little bit more forthcoming about um, as things kind of move forward and kind of sharing some of the, uh, the personal details of us trying to actually cover the sport um, as, as best as we can, given the opportunities that we have. So I thought that was a great question from Kyle. Thank you very much. Um, moving on. And, you know, we said, Simon, that this was going to be a Q&A bumper edition, and it's certainly turning out to be. Um, Paul James tweets in and says, I think Jimmy Manu is good enough to be champ and defend, but at 37, do you think he has only one chance to get the title? You would think probably that's the case. Um, I think unless he was drafted in late notice to fill in for an injury at 210 in a week's time, you've got to think that if if he gets a shot at the belt at his age, unless it's a, unless he loses it by like the narrowest of decisions or there's something con- controversial that demands an immediate rematch, you would imagine that he's going to get one go at it. Um, but who knows in this sport, man? I, I I I think I think Jimmy. He's. I think realistically, he's going to need to win one more fight to get a title shot. I think he did the right thing, calling for one straight away. I think realistically, unless he gets drafted in late notice to fill in, he's likely to have to fight one more time, and that fight will be the biggest fight of his career because it will probably be against. I guess it'll either be against John Jones or it'll be against the loser of Rumble and and uh, DC. That they're the two fights. You can fight Shogun, but I don't think that pushes him any closer. I think that'd just be keeping him, keeping him where he is. Um, and I still, I still think he'd need to win another one after that. So if he wasn't to fight Shogun next, because Shogun's the easy one to make, but it, I think for him to win the title or get in a title fight, he's going to need to have to beat either John Jones, Rumble Johnson, or Daniel Cormier. I think he needs to beat one of those three. And if he beats whoever you know, whichever one of those three, uh, whichever one of those three he gets, I think the next fight for him will be a title fight. Um, and uh, I think if he loses that fight, I, you've got to think that it's going to be tricky for him to bounce straight back into another one, unless, as I say, it's it's really close or it's controversial. 
um, because he's going to have to walk through the fire again and make, win maybe one, maybe two more against that sort of level of opposition. Um, that's not to say he can't do it, but just looking at his age, you would think that he's, he probably has got maybe three years left. I would imagine he might not. He might not even be planning to fight that that long. He might think, right, I want to get the title or have a shot at the title, win the title, maybe defend it on home soil. Who knows? And then he can he can he can put a you know he he can put a bow on the career and say, look what I did. Um, it's interesting. It's some, next time I, I get the chance to interview Jimmy, I'll talk to him about it because um, it's something we've never spoken about. You know, it's always been him working his way up and sharpening his tools and improving his skill set and looking to get the big highlight reel finishes. And he's now got them back to back. And he's now, if he's not right in the t- in the championship picture yet, some of us think he could possibly be there. Some of us think he maybe needs one or two more, but he's right on, he's right on the bubble now. And I think once he's in there, then, you know, the, the whole narrative of his career changes and it's a case of what comes next. So, it's in, it'd be interesting to know um, because he is, as I say, he isn't a spring chicken. He came to the sport late. He turned down two contract offers by the UFC and then finally accepted the third one because he didn't think he was ready. Um, came in on the third time of asking and has done pretty well. And the only guys he's lost to, the only guys he's lost to are Rumble Johnson and um, Alexander Gustafsson. They're the only guys he's lost to. So if your only defeats are against those two, you're not doing too bad. So, um, yeah, for me, it would just be nice from a British perspective because this is the Brit pack. It would be nice to see him get his shot at the belt at some point. But I think he's going to have to go through one of the big three to get it. Yeah, I agree. I think if he does get the title shot, I think it will just be the one chance he gets, uh, just given um, where he's at in regards to age. But as Michael Bisping proved last year, one chance is all you need. And uh, that's, right. that's, that's kind of leading me on to uh, another question from Graham Hughes, who says, how about Gus versus Jones rematch and Manua gets the winner of DC Rumble for International Fight Week? And we spoke about this a little bit earlier on. That's definitely an option for them. I mean, to get Jones versus Gustafsson too on any card, that's going to sell. Right to get Jones on board on any pay per view that should help boost the numbers. Um, and for me, Jones versus Gustafsson is my favorite um, MMA fight of all time. Period. For, for the longest time, it was Anderson Silva versus Chelsea and won uh, until Gustafsson Jones came along. Mm. So I don't, I don't hate that at all. You know, I do not hate that at all. Um, yeah, and to get Manuel in the mix there, it'll help boost his profile. I don't see it happening. But I don't like. I don't mind that at all. Is he suggesting that you have Jones versus Gustafsson on the same card during International Fight Week? Is he saying like yeah. a double header? So you got main the... event Manoa versus the winner of DC Rumble co-main event Jones Gustafsson too. I'm not hating that idea. Um, I find it, and we, you know, we spoke earlier on the show. I think we're both in agreement that Jones is probably going to get the title shot when he comes back. But if he didn't. And they decided we're going to give Jimmy the shot. Having those four guys at the top of a fight card would be great. Um, and the other thing it also builds in, of course, is the element of insurance because we know what we all know what happened at UFC 200. Um, that was supposed to be Jones versus Cormier, 
and it fell through and Cormier went from being the main eventer to I think he lost half a million dollars on that fight in 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 salary because he ended up being a main carder rather than a main eventer. I'm pretty sure that was documented at the time. I think he lost about half a million dollars as a result of John Jones' failed drug test. Um, so completely out of his control, bang, loses half a mil. Amazing. Um, and he ended up mid-card fighting Anderson Silva. So, um, yeah, it's um, I wouldn't hate on that idea. I wouldn't hate on that idea, but I also think they've probably got other big fights planned for International Fight Week as well. So whether that would be the top-of-the-shop fight, I don't know. I suspect they might have something bigger planned. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we talked about Cyborg earlier. I wouldn't be surprised if she was involved. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's there's an awful lot of uh, potential options for International Fight Week. And it's not something that we've really delved into that much. We might have to start thinking about that as we go into future shows and how that International Fight Week triple header is it's going to be, how, how that's all going to piece together. But... From a British perspective, seeing a Brit on the top of the bill during international fight, you got George St. Pierre, Michael Bisbing could be on that event. We just don't know. We just don't know. I, I, th- I think it might be. I've got to be honest. Um, so who knows? We could we, we could see two Brits right at the top of uh, the big pay per view at International Fight Week. Wouldn't that be something? It certainly would. And uh, speaking of the Brit pack, Stuart Tuckwall tweets in and says, "If Paddy Pimblett wins next weekend." Will he be signed by the UFC or will we finally see a UK super fight versus Brendan Lofnan? So I'm not sure if this is confirmed or official yet, but I did see some stuff online today about Brendan speaking to Cage Warriors about potentially uh, signing for them. Uh, And of course, Paddy's fighting next weekend at the Echo Arena in Liverpool. Uh, That's a big fight for him against Nad Naramani. Um, I'm quite high on Nad. Um, I remember covering him, um, you know, back in, I think, I want to say 2011, 2012, in his early days. Um, was that the Yoani and Jacek card? Was he on that one? Yeah, it was. It was. And um, and and he's a tough, legit fighter. And that's going to be a big, big test for Paddy. I'm looking forward to seeing what the outcome of that particular fight is. Obviously, I'm not going to be in, in the country. I'm going to be abroad in sunny Orlando, Florida. But I will be checking... My uh, my my Twitter feed to find out what the result of that fight is, but what do you think the um, the chances are that Paddy gets signed up by the UFC after this fight, or do you think he sticks around Cage Warriors for a while? And if that's the the case, what do you think, Simon? Paddy versus uh, Brendan there, Naylor on the ship? Yeah, potentially. I mean, Brendan. Um, if you if anybody out there doesn't know Brendan Brendan Lockname, um you probably have seen him fight before. He was in the Ultimate Fighter, the Smashes series, and did pretty well. Um, he fought Mike Wilkinson uh, on a fight night card. I think it was all like a, a fuel TV card or whatever it was back then. And uh, Wilkinson beat him that day. They rematched a few weeks ago in Manchester at ACB. And Brendan absolutely put, put a beating on Mike Wilkinson. Flattened him with a head kick. Fight should have been finished at that point. Uh, then he, he he hit him with a load of ground and power. Somehow Wilkinson got up again, and then Lockname finished him with a with a huge knee straight up the middle. Um, and uh, he looked he looked good. He's he's really hitting a sweet spot in his career. Paddy's still so young. This is the thing. Um, the natural the natural thing is to think he's doing so well. Get him into the UFC. 
But I actually think that he's been quite shrewdly managed, to be honest with you. I think to throw him in at such a young age, don't forget he's a featherweight. And I think we've spoken about it sort of almost ad nauseum on this on this podcast about how the featherweight division is the division in the UFC right now. It's just top to toe with killers. Um, and uh, not to say that Paddy couldn't hold his own in that division. He's going in incredibly young. And I think at the, right now, I think he's in the best place. Stay where he is. He's got the ability to to play to pack houses in the UK. He's going to play to a, a big, big crowd up there in the Echo Arena in Liverpool this weekend. He's on home soil. It's the day of the Merseyside derby as well, Sandu. They've got the Merseyside derby that lunchtime. And then in the evening, Paddy fights to defend his world championship at the Echo Arena. Unbelievable. You know, it's absolutely, it's perfect for him. Um, but as you say, he's got a legit opponent in Nad Naramani. And uh, if he beats him, I think the hype will just go up a level. And they're going to be looking at, okay, who's next? Uh, Brendan would definitely represent the most dangerous opponent of his career, I think. Um, and uh, seeing Brendan sign for Cage Warriors, I think, will be good for him too. I think it gives Brendan the push that I think he deserves. He, 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 he's bounced around a few promotions, uh, fought for a few different people. Um, I think if he wants to get back into the UFC... He needs to be with one of the big two promotions in the UK, Bama or, or Cage Warriors. And if you're looking at track record, Cage Warriors is, is arguably the one who's got the best track record of sending people into the UFC. Either promotion will be good for him, uh, but if he wants a big fight on domestic on the domestic stage, maybe a, a super fight with Paddy would be great. I think that's probably more likely than him jumping to the UFC at this point, Cause just, just because Paddy's so young. Um, I don't think there's any rush. Um... And it's better to see, you know, let him season in the. Even if he does lose a fight, you know, if if he fought Brendan and lost, but then came back, I, you know, it might not look great on his record at that immediate time. But that doesn't mean he won't then go on and become successful. I think you need to, you know, when you jump into the UFC and Jimmy, we talked about Jimmy, he had three contract offers at different points in his career, and he only took the third one because he didn't feel he was ready. And then when he joined, he wasn't like three and out. He stayed in and he's now on the verge of world championship status. So that proved a good decision for him. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's, that's a really good example for, for, uh, for Paddy and his management to sort of, sort of look at and go, that worked for him. Um, if you're confident that he's not going to suddenly fall off a cliff form-wise and, and never get his shot, then I think, Keep him, keep him around. Build, build the hype around him. Put him in relevant fights on the UK and European scene. Don't forget, these fights are going to be shown in UFC Fight Pass as well. So eventually, it it will come to a point where not just the people in the UK, but people stateside are going to be saying, "We need to see this guy in the UFC." And that, at that point, then you bring him in when you've got that huge mass of support behind him. Um, because believe me, he's getting the sort of buzz in Liverpool, that Connor was getting in Dublin before he joined the UFC. There are certainly yeah. comparisons there. But I think yeah. he's so young. Give him, you know, give, him, give him another six to eight months and then, and then see where we are. And maybe sort of start of 20, 2018, see if you can get him across. That would make sense to me. In the pro wrestling world, Simon, we call that the slow build. And there I you like go. The slow build. Yeah. Right. So the MMA Manor tweets in and says, if Chris Weidman loses to Gay God Musashi, that would be three losses in a row. 
We all know that three losses usually brings the axe down on most UFC fighters. I'm sure this won't apply to Weidman, but what if he loses a fourth? Surely that would be one defeat too many. So for me, if, if Weidman does lose, I don't see the UFC cutting him A, but I do see him jumping up a weight class. I think if he can't get this win against Musashi in a co-main event in Buffalo, New York, not too far away from his hometown, then um, I think it's time for him to move up a weight class, um, give him a fresh coat of paint. Uh, a weight class at 205 that needs stars, that needs new contenders, and uh, a former UFC middleweight champion would do just a trick. Um, I don't really like fighters jumping around weight classes, but if he loses three in a row, Simon, I just don't see what other options he's going to have. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, losing losing back-to-back fights is all well and good, and I know it's kind of become like an unwritten rule of thumb. If you lose three in a row, then you know there's a fair chance you're going to get your P45 and uh, ask to go find alternative uh, alternative employment with another promotion. But if those fights are all at world championship level or just below world championship level, it doesn't mean he's no good anymore. It doesn't mean, you know, he still can't fight in the UFC. It just makes it harder for him to get to championship level. And I totally agree with you. I think if he were to lose to Gago Masasi, that would be three on the spin, having lost uh, lost his title to Rockhold, lost to Romero in a fight that he was doing quite well in at UFC 205. I thought he was winning the fight until he, uh, he ate that huge flying knee from Joel Romero. Um, and he was doing all right against Luke Rockhold before he threw a silly kick, and then Rockhold took advantage and won that fight. So both those defeats, he was winning those fights, and you know one was a mistake. I guess I guess they were both mistakes. He he telegraphed a takedown and ate a flying knee against Romero. So he made two mistakes, got punished uh, in in pretty substantial fashion on both occasions. But they were both fights he was winning. So he's now got one more against Gagard Masasi, which is an, a very difficult fight for him. Gagard's in the best form of his UFC career, for sure. Um, if he loses that, and he could lose that, he could lose that, then yeah, light heavyweight, why not? Why not? As long as he doesn't have to fight Jan Valente, then there's, there's not a problem, is there? So um, Because they're teammates, they won't want to fight each other. But yeah, and light heavyweight, stick another guy in there with a bit more, a bit more world championship uh, level ability, it gives that divi- it gives that division a bit more shine as well. Opens up options in that upper echelon as well. If you throw if you throw Weidman into the mix, all of a sudden you've got new matchups you can make there. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And you you can reverse the argument as well and say uh, Gegard Musasi could do exactly the same thing. He yep. he was a light heavyweight world champion in strike force. So um, if he loses. Granted, he's not on the losing streak that uh, Wyman's on, but if he loses and he's of the view, well, that's my shot at the middleweight title gone, he could jump up to light heavy. He challenged Daniel Cormier at UFC 200 and Cormier accepted the fight. But then the UFC said, well, hold on a minute, we've got Anderson Silva up our sleeve. So they gave him Anderson Silva instead. That that was going to be Gegard Musassi versus Daniel Cormier. Um, so, yeah, I think I think whoever loses that fight, I think... For the loser of that fight to move up to 205 makes a whole lot of sense for everybody. Stephen Murray tweets and it says, What is the UFC doing by cutting its roster? Are they looking to put on less events or more quality events? For me, it's just cutting the wage bill. It's, um, you know, WMEIMG have come in and they're trimming the fat, so to speak. 
And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm saying that in a way where even guys like Ryan Bader are going away and Lorenz Larkin are going away because they're probably trying to say, right, okay, we're paying X amount to these fighters per year. And I believe, um, and Dana White's gone on record as saying this, that if the UFC don't give these fighters or what they or at least offer the number of fight uh, number of fights within their contract, whether, whether that's three a year, four a year, they have to pay out anyway, um, which uh, you know, is giving your money away for free. Uh, and uh, you know we've seen UFC staff uh, be let go. We've seen UFC regional offices shut down um, because they've got staff that can you know carry out these uh, these roles and departments and offices ready and built into the WME, IMG, um, re, you know, the resources they have worldwide that can handle all these tasks. And, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, what we've seen is Bellator, you know, sign up some of these guys, which is a massive coup for them. We've seen some of these guys go over to some of the Russian promotions, uh, KSW, have got a couple. Um, so it's not the worst thing in the world. And listen, if these guys are getting better paydays elsewhere and they're getting consistent fights whilst they're still in their prime, then that's a good thing. I think... When, or I don't think, should I say, there's been a signing yet or somebody let go, in my opinion, where I've all of a sudden thought to myself, that is a huge game changer. Not yet. I think the guys that they let go, or in another way of putting it, the guys that Bellator signed have been guys that, you know, the UFC don't necessarily need them because they're they've got weight classes with plenty of star power plenty of fighters in the upper echelon um of the best uh, mixed martial artists in the world or guys that have perhaps in their opinion and in some cases my opinion too perhaps already peaked at their best in the ufc and a guy that comes to mind as an example of that is benson henderson i thought i think we've seen the best of his uh his MMA career whilst he was in the UFC, whilst he was their lightweight champion. So no alarm bells are ringing for me just yet, Simon. But I guess um, from an outsider's perspective looking in, what's been your take on the UFC cutting its roster? Um, and, I mean, the second part of the question is with, reg with regards to putting on less events. I don't think so. I think they're probably going to keep the same number of events because that's going to play a major factor into the new TV deal which will probably probably be like a long-term 10-year TV deal. Yeah, I think we're still quite new in the uh, the tenure of WMEIMG, and I think we're still very much in a, in a, in a cost-cutting phase. It's, it's, I, I kind of liken it to when you move into a new house, uh, and you've got to do a little bit of work to the house first. You know what I mean? Um, so I think what they're looking to do, given the amount of money that they've spent on this thing... Um, they're in this to make money. Make no mistake about this. So they're not looking to shut the thing down. So you have to look at there is a bigger picture to every decision they make. And while on the surface it might not make sense now, in a year, 18 months, two years, it may well do. So you always have to factor that in. And I think what they're doing now is they're streamlining the business. What they're doing, they want to keep all their most bankable stars in play. They need to maintain the number of events, as you just said, uh, because of the TV deal. The number one source of revenue for the UFC is their events, whether it be ticket sales, obviously pay-per-view revenue, but probably bigger than all of that is going to be their 
their television partnership deals globally. So they need the events to service that. If they suddenly start cutting back on that, they're, they're cutting back on the value of the proposition that they're looking to sell. And the one thing that these guys do very well is sell sports rights. It's one of the big things they do. So the most important thing is that they, they, they maintain that. But a UFC event typically has between 11 and 13 fights on the card, right? They could decide, right, we're going to trim that down to 10 fights a card. Yeah. That doesn't impact on the number of shows. It's just less fights. They might And they might restructure the way those fights are served. In terms of the moment, we have fight pass events. We have te- uh, televised prelims. And then you have the, uh, the pay-per-view portion of the card when it's a pay-per-view show. They might restructure that a little bit. Who knows? But I think by trimming the roster, they're, they're, they're just cutting their costs back here and there. They're, make, they're clearly making changes. They're looking to use what they already have in terms of their regional offices in order to sort of trim, trim the uh, expenses down globally. Um, and uh, they're, just, they're still in the process of streamlining the business. And I think after a year or so, you would expect that most of that streamlining will be in place. And then year two, I think, is when you'll start to see the real, the real effect of the ownership kicking in from a creative point of view. Because right now they can't be making too many sweeping changes to how the sport looks because they need to sell the sport to their new TV partners. Um, and if you, all of a sudden you start making massive sweeping changes to everything that can upset the apple cart a little bit. So all they're doing at the moment is they're just making a few little cutbacks here and there while still maintaining the basic premise of what the UFC is. And then once the TV deals are in place, that will then take us into year two. And I think once we're into that, or certainly towards the end of year one and then into, in, into year two, I think that's when we'll start to see the, maybe the creative change. We might It might start to look a little bit different on television. You know, I think we might start to see the fight cards might may be a fight or two smaller, um, and it's it's something to look out for. Um, I don't I don't know I don't see it as a disaster. I just think they're in the cost cutting phase right now because at the end of the day they need to make money from this, and they're not going to make more money by putting on less events. Let's let's let let's be absolutely sure on that. So uh, I won't worry too much about that, but they might need to just trim the roster back a little. Make the roster they 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 keep work a little harder insofar as maybe have people fighting more than twice a year, for example, um, and uh, and and just try and try and get more quality action out there. Um, and if that means having slightly smaller fight cards, then so be it. I think I think that's that's the most likely thing going forward. I think. Adam Brooks tweets it and says, "What do you think of Dan Hardy being called out by Mickey Gall? If he returns, it should be more glamorous." We touched on this a little bit earlier on. Uh, Mickey Gall, uh, during uh, UFC Fight Night London Fight Week on the media day, wasn't holding back. Um, he was still gutting for that Dan Hardy fight. Uh, well, it's all fun and games. Uh, but then when a fan asked uh, Dan Hardy uh, point blank um, during the, the guest fight Q&A um, in the O2 Arena, in front of Mickey Gall, who was one of the guest fighters, Dan Hardy once again just nixed it and said, look, it's not something that he's interested in. I'm convinced at this stage it's just not going to happen. Um, I think Dan Hardy's definitely just, first of all, he's just trying to see if he can get the approval that he can fight again. And then uh, and then he'll take it from there and uh, and perhaps just uh, look for somebody um, 
who's in his kind of peer group in regards to um, age um, and also experience when it comes to the number of professional fights that they've had as well. Uh, that's all Dan wants to do is test himself, see what he's capable of and what he can do. And uh, so yeah, so Mickey Gall, Dan Hardy, not happening. Nah, no, nah, I have to say, I am a huge, uh, a huge admirer of Mickey Gall and the way he goes about his business though. Um, he's, he's great fun. He's great fun to deal with. I interviewed him before his first fight uh, in, in, in the UFC uh, you know, when he was, he was before the Mike Jackson fight, uh, and uh, even then, this is a, this is a lad who is completely switched on to exactly what you need to do in order to make yourself stand out from the crowd in what is a pretty crowded sport. Um, and because uh, you look at his record, who's he beat? Right, <laughs> he's beaten Mike Jackson, uh, he's beaten CM Punk, and he's beaten Sage Northcutt. So. He's not been in there yet with what you would call like a seasoned, experienced UFC fighter. Yet he's a name that everybody knows. Everyone who follows mixed martial arts in the UFC knows who Mickey Gall is. They'd recognize him if they saw him. And uh, they'd be interested to watch the guy fight because he's already carved this reputation out for himself uh, and has done an incredible job of it. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. He needs a decent fight at welterweight now. I don't know if he's ready for a ranked opponent yet, but he certainly needs a decent fight. Um, and uh, I understand completely why he's calling that Dan Hardy because it's a, it's another fight that in his mind he'd see as a winnable fight. Dan hasn't fought for four years. Um, but the thing with Dan, Dan is a former world championship challenger as well. So he beats Dan, he just gets even more shine because everyone's going to want to watch Dan Hardy's comeback fight. <coughs> so, you know, all of the... All, all of his three fights, even though he hasn't fought a legitimate uh, sort of elite level welterweight in the UFC yet, all of his fights have had a notable thing about them. He fought uh, Mike Jackson because the winner of that was going to fight CM Punk. Everybody watched that fight to see who CM Punk would be fighting. Then he fought CM Punk. Everybody watched that because they wanted to see CM Punk's UFC debut. And then he fought Sage Northcutt, which was a battle between two guys who were you know, one guy who's, who was getting a serious push from the UFC and one guy who, who, who was also getting a good push from the UFC but had positioned himself in a completely different way. It was a battle of prospects. And that was an interesting fight to watch. Now he needs, he needs to sort of move on to the next thing and Dan Hardy made sense. That fight isn't going to happen and I understand completely why Dan doesn't want that fight. The tricky thing is, who's, who's, who is Mickey Gall going to fight next? It's it's kind of a tricky one. I think he needs if if he's going to carry on with the whole narrative, then uh, Matt Hughes needs an opponent. Maybe he could fight Matt Hughes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I I just don't know. I think I think Mickey needs to fight someone who who has a name, but he also needs to fight someone probably outside the top fifteen. Then beat that guy and then start to look towards the top fifteen. He's another guy who's young and doesn't need to rush his career. But he's he's in the UFC, unlike Paddy Pimblett. He's there now. So, But I think he's been quite clever in the way he's gone about it. But yeah, I, the Dan Hardy fight makes all the sense in the world if your name's Mickey Gould, but it makes no sense at all if your name's Dan Hardy. So that fight isn't going to happen. Final question, and it's been a, a packed Q&A segment this week. Graham Hughes tweets, and it says, any updates on Tom Breeze's situation? 
It was a damn shame his fight being pulled, but obviously health comes first. So for those of you who don't know, um, this was a fight I was really looking forward to. Tom Breeze, who was going to make his middleweight debut against Oluwale Bamboze at UFC Fight Night London. Um, Breeze looked good in all, you know, throughout the entire week. Um, had a great stare down with Oluwale Bamboze at the uh, ceremonial weigh-ins. Um, that was a, a tasty fight um, on, the, on the card. It was pulled at the 11th hour because um, it was reported by John Gooden on the broadcast that uh, Tom Breeze had some irregular um, heart rate, um, which and you could speculate maybe that's a bit of a, a panic attack setting in. Who knows? It could just be something... I mean, you know, sometimes you can get take um, a bit too much coffee or an energy drink or, uh, you know, a, a supplement. There's only a number of different things that could um, cause that. Dehydration could cause that. Um, who knows what happened, um, what the effects were, whether it was physical, whether it was emotional that triggered it. Um, he hasn't, I, I don't believe, uh, to date, given... Um, uh, an interview explaining everything in, in great detail. So again, we can only speculate. Um, but I think the first, first and foremost, I think everyone just wants to make sure that uh, Tom's health is in order. Um, we wish him nothing but the best. Um, and hopefully that was just a pure one-off because when you look at Tom Breeze, you look at a legitimate prospect from the UK who has got all the tools to potentially go all the way uh, in the UFC. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Anything more you, you want to add to that, Simon? Well, I spoke to Tom in, in Fight Week. I interviewed him for Junkie and it was the most relaxed I've ever seen him. Um, and normally he's, I think he sometimes, you know, sort of looking back at the times when I've spoken to him leading up to his fights, he does sometimes give the impression of a guy who's got the weight of the world on his shoulders and I guess partly some of that is down to us media people hyping him up um, because no doubt we have done. Um, he was undefeated and, you know, there was a lot a lot of stock put in, in him, you know, training over there. GSP handpicked him as one of his sparring partners and things like this. And, um, yeah, I think, and, and, and he lost his last fight. But coming in at a new weight class, at a much healthier weight, he looked so much better at the weigh-ins. Than he than he did um, any other time he's weighed in for the UFC. You see some of those early weighing pictures from him weighing in at one seventy. It doesn't look like him. He looks almost skeletal. Um, but I was there at the uh, official weigh-ins on on the Friday morning. He looked great. He looked he looked like a professional fighter should look when they're weighing in. Not too not too sucked in. Uh, he looked healthy. So to then hear that he was pulled from the fight card for for medical reasons was the initial, the, the initial word um, was a little worrying because you think, okay, it wouldn't have been necessarily that he'd had a terrible weight cut or anything because he wasn't having to cut anywhere near as much weight. Um, and he was fighting at a much more natural weight for him. I reached out to, 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 uh, to his manager, Graham Boylan during the event uh, to try and get an official word. And he, he said it was uh, elevated heart rate. Um, which could mean any number of things. I mean, maybe he, you know, maybe there was an underlying illness there, um, and or maybe there was some sort of anxiety kicking in. Who knows? Um, but yeah, if any time like that, you know, just just the words "elevated heart rate" can kind of cheapen things a little bit because it suggests that 
oh, his heart's beating faster, well, it should be, because he's about to go into a prize fight. Um, but, yeah, I think any time there's anything out of the ordinary like that, it's, it's best to it's best to pull the guy from the fight, make sure he's okay. We've not heard anything since. Um, you hope that he's okay. Hope everything's all right with him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think when anything out of the ordinary like that happens, I think you do the right thing by the fighter. Um, and uh, that's clearly what they decided to do. So, fingers crossed Tom's okay, uh, you know, and and there's nothing there's nothing too untoward to worry about there, and that the next time we see him we see him at 185 where he looks so healthy at the weigh-ins, and uh, he's able to step back in there maybe he gets bang bozy again because I think that was an exciting fight on in prospect so uh, yeah fingers crossed everything's good and uh, you know we get to see Tom Breeze back in there sooner rather than later. And that does it, Simon. That is it for all the questions this week and. It was a hell of a show. Uh, thanks everyone uh, that tweeted and you know took some time out to think of some really interesting questions. I thought we've got quite a nice um, array of of topics that we discussed this week, and I had, I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, it completely blew our idea of doing a quick one hour special out of the water, didn't it? We've we've gone past two hours again, Sandu, but but uh, but yeah, I love doing this sort of stuff, and and uh, it's my favourite bit of the show is when we're ask we're uh, we're answering questions and and talking just sort of chatting about about the big the uh, the big stories and the big questions that you guys out there want to hear so uh so please do keep those questions coming in uh you certainly don't need any any encouragement from us to do it you can tweet us whenever you like at the brit pack mma is the handle to make sure you include in with your questions if your question won't fit in a tweet um Feel free to write it in notepad or notes on your phone, screen grab it, attach it as an image and send it to us. People have started doing that um, in recent weeks and that's no problem as well. We can get those questions, we can read them out on the show. Um, All of that is good. So uh, please do send us your questions at the Britpack MMA. If you want to just shoot the breeze with us on Twitter individually at MMA is Sandu's account and my account is at Simon Head. Check out the website, thebritpackmma.com is the place to go. You'll find all of our shows on there right the way back from show number one when we were just getting this thing up and running all the way to this very show, number 33. There's a few little blogs and bits and pieces dotted around in there. We should probably do a few more of those as we go forward. Um, But uh, yeah, everything you need is on there, including details of how to subscribe. You can do that through SoundCloud. You can do it on iTunes, Stitcher, and Acast. Um, if you just want to stream the thing, get the SoundCloud app, uh, follow us on that, and you can get us on there. If you do subscribe to us, we would love it if you uh, rated and reviewed us. That would be really good. That would help push us up the list a little bit and get a few more people uh, to, uh, to know a little bit about the show and maybe follow us in the weeks and months ahead. But uh, yeah, enjoyed it this week. We're going to have a week off next week as Sandu goes off sunning himself in Florida. Uh, I will be not sunning myself in Rochester. But uh, yeah, we'll have a we'll have a week off. Uh, get loads of questions in over the next week or so, and we will answer as many as we can when we come back the following week. When we look back at UFC 210, will we see a brand new world champion crown, or will Daniel Cormier hang on to the strap? 
Enjoy the fights when they come round. Don't forget Cage Warriors this weekend, and don't forget Bellator this weekend. I'm sure, like us, you'll find a way to watch it. Until next time, enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you soon.